So for me, it was never, um, how could you do this to me? How I'm not built that way. I'm built in the space of optimism. It's because of my relationship with God and my faith where I was able to go to my demons, so to speak. Why are you hurting me? Please don't do this to me. I love you anyway. I felt like I'm the vessel and God's saying these words for me. There's a parable that I speak about often that I really, really love about a father who's an alcoholic and he has two sons. In an interview, the reporter says to the son, um, one son is an alcoholic, the other one's a millionaire. The reporter said to the son that's an alcoholic, why are you an alcoholic? He said, because my dad was an alcoholic. Then he asked the other son, why are you a millionaire? He said, because my dad was an alcoholic. Your, your parents teach you how to be or how not to be. So even in the midst of pain, it was like, my dad kept showing me when I become a dad, I'm not going to act that way. I'm going to have a right. better relationship. You know what I'm saying? Based on faith, based on trust. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Proper Creative. They help me with our brand content and, of course, making our swag. They're the ones that ship it out to us. That's Proper Creative, and they work with any type of business, whether you're a big corporation or a small business or even running it out of your house. They will work with you, and they will help you and relieve a ton of liability and work from your shoulders. That's Proper Creative. You can follow them on Instagram, P-R-O-P-R, or you can go to their website at P-R-O-P-R. R-O-P-R-L-L-C.com. Let Proper Creative help you build your brand and sell direct to consumer, regardless of the size of your business. Proper Creative is definitely a good choice. Welcome to another week of Level Up with Matt Rogers. I am your host, Matt Rogers, right here, spinning the ones and twos, producer, engineer, Eli Adelman. Yep. 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 Here I am. Hey. There it is. This is. Here we are. This is good. This has been a good podcast day. Dude, producing uh, freaking gold is I what we're know. doing because we have golden guests. Right. And I mean, I don't know if people have caught on to this, but sometimes we do more than one episode in a day. More than one episode. Yeah, we do. And so this is, I'm excited for this one. This is the last one of the day that we're doing today, mm-hmm. but it's going to be. But I'm, this is one of those where like we save the best for Right, last. exactly. It's like, I've been looking forward to this one all day. Yeah, because so. you know we're going to get better. Yep. When it's over, this okay. So this guy, most of you all know Dolvet Quincy. He be you know we he really hit the scene uh, when he was a uh, trainer on The Biggest Loser. He was on season twelve through seventeen, so a solid six years. And I'm not just saying this because he's on the show. Like he was our favorite trainer. Nice. Like my wife really liked looking at him, and <laughs> I liked listening. And you know, and but my son Braden, my oldest son, yeah. like. He is a reality competition freak. He loves it. Yeah. So when I told him uh, last night, I'm like, dude, guess who's coming on the show tomorrow? I go, biggest, I go, biggest loser. He goes, Dolvet. <laughs> oh, yeah, because he got all fired up because I met Dolvet in person uh, when I was on Home and Family on Hallmark Channel. Yep. And he's just a good guy. Yep. So we have a mutual friend, and that mutual friend hooked us up. And he is in the house with us right now. He's gone from Steve Harvey, GQ Magazine, Men's Fitness, NBC, and now he's on Level Up. What is up? What's good in the hood, baby? <laughs> Dude, I love, no pun intended, your sweatshirt. Where did you get that? Is that like a brand or is it your brand? What is that? Oh, I wish I was smart enough to make this my brand. You know what? Dang. Um, I don't even know if you can trademark this word, to come to be honest with you. It's it's Sandro. If you're familiar with that brand. I think they're, they're a Spanish brand. Really? Yeah, Sandro, S-A-N-D-R-O. And they did so this gonna, whole love. I'm gonna make one and put a more then and I'm gonna rock that out. 
It's the I believe. Off. <laughs> where Where are you at right now? I'm in uh, Tennessee. Where are you? I'm in Los Angeles. There you go. How is it going over there? Are you allowed to go outside? Yeah, 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 yeah. Things aren't right. that bad. Anywhere indoors, you have to wear a mask. Um, outdoors, you're good to go. But are they that strict in Tennessee or no? Oh, God, no. It's like, <laughs> people yell at you if you wear a mask. What you wearing that mask on there for? You better take that mask I'm off. I'm convinced you. there's like parts of Tennessee that have no idea a pandemic happened. You're violating my freedom by wearing that mask. You better take that off. It's, it's, it's like 2016 out there. Oh, dude, it's way different. I'll never forget. It was last year because on Friday nights, I'll announce the local high school football team. Like I'm the radio play by or not play by the color commentator. Yeah. And we were in Columbia, Tennessee, and it was August of last year, like the middle of the freaking pandemic. And they were having the fair and no one was wearing masks and care yep. less. It was crazy. And I'm like, dude, what? This is bizarre. Yeah. It was crazy. I lived, I lived in Atlanta for years. And when I went to go visit, it was like 2016. No one, people were walking around, they were inside the restaurants, sitting down, standing up at the bar, talking, no masks. It was, it was crazy to watch. Yeah. Dude, it, it's got to be tough for people probably get mad when you put a mask on because they love looking at you, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, seriously, like, you're, the freak, you're like, Who's that bald guy? <laughs> you're like a Greek God. Like women are thanking me so much right now for having you on the podcast. Like, so our Spotify and Apple, uh, iTunes, those are our biggest numbers. YouTube's the lowest, but I think on this episode, our YouTube numbers are going to go through the freaking. <laughs> like, what was that? Go, like? Let's go. I mean, dude, you've been on GQ men's health and fitness. I mean, you've been everywhere. You're a personal trainer, a celebrity fitness trainer, an entrepreneur, um, TV show trainer, but I want to talk about where you started. And that's what this whole podcast is about because it started rough. I know that you, are you four of brothers and sisters? Are you one of four or do you have four brothers and sisters? One of four. There's four one of us. And are all of you biological brothers and sisters or were each one adopted? All biological, same mom, same dad. Same mom, same dad. Can you talk about that? Like how you grew up because y'all got adopted by the same family, right? Yeah, it was it was a blessing, bro. I mean, I listen, it's I've talked about this. And for me, it's just a therapeutic conversation because I came from where I came from, which were the projects, the hood, living in Connecticut. And people here in Connecticut, they're like, oh, that's the, probably the most beautiful place in the world. But mm -hmm. like anywhere, there's segments that are not on the other side of the railroad tracks. Right. So growing up, um, my mom was very young when she had us. I mean, she was 17 when she had my older brother, you know, and so on and so forth. Her interest was following my dad. You know, here they are. Yeah. Neighbors threatened her over and over again. You keep leaving these kids. We're going to call defects, call whatever the hell it was back then that they called on people for neglecting their child. And sure enough. How, how old were you? Like, do you remember your mom leaving or were you like two and three? I remember one specific act that happened to me, age four which was seeing a police officer and a social worker knock on the door where I lived. Mm -hmm. and my mom coming down off the hallway from behind them, leave my children alone. Say, sorry, ma'am, you've been warned too many times. We're taking these kids from you. So I'm a little, I'm a little kid, right? Yeah. And watching this police officer grab me and a social worker saying, nope, no more. You had your chances. 
had my favorite teddy bear with me, little teddy with the yeah. blue guy. And I dropped him on the ground, kicking and screaming. That's the last time I saw him. As a matter of fact, as an homage to him, I got that tattoo on my arm. I'll show you that later. No way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he never leaves me again. That said, it was tough. I was separated with my younger brother at a home for about two or three weeks. My sister and older brother were separated from us. So the four of us split up. I didn't think I'd see them again. I don't know what the hell was happening. My aunt was in the background going to social services or wherever she went to every single day. These kids have to grow up together. I don't care what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, but you need to find a family or someone to put them both, all of them in the same house. And sure enough, they found Mr. and Mrs. Alcott. They took us in. We went to a house with 13 or 14 other kids. Every week, two kids would leave. Five kids would leave. And I remember crying with my sister saying, uh-oh, it's going to happen again. We're going to get kicked. I'm going to get separated from you when we were finally reunited. But it didn't happen that way. Six months passed. We were the only four kids left in the house. How? I don't know how. And I don't even know why. I think, grace of God, just, just, right, just the right type of thing happened in terms of I remember distinctly them coming to us saying, hey, come into the kitchen. We want to sit down and talk to you. Um, there's this, they're this Jamaican couple. So I remember seeing like these huge ass bananas where they were plantains and eating Jamaican food. I thought it was weird. And they said with their Jamaican accent, we've been praying and talking about this to each other for a long time. Um, we want to keep the four of you. We want to adopt you. So the, I, other, so the kids that were going in and out, those were foster kids, but they wanted to adopt you? Right. These were foster kids in the system, right? There was almost like a, a in-between home, between foster care, this home, mm -hmm. and before the, the kids were placed into homes. So I thought we're no different than Johnny or Susie or whoever, right? But they kept trickled out and literally six months passed and no other kids came into the house. Wow. So we watched that time frame go by till, the, till it got to the stage of we want to adopt the four of you. So the day we got adopted, you know, it's interesting because that time frame where I was taken from my uh, mom, I remember the social worker to this day, don't remember her name because I was four or five years old. Yeah. I remember her saying, what's your favorite color? Just to kind of ease the, the cry <laughs> that's coming yeah. on. I said orange. And so she made an orange sort of like a manila folder and hand wrote in there my story. These are your adopted parents. This is the school you went to. This is the day and time you were born. So I wasn't, I would have some history. Matter of fact. Wow. Come on. You see how old it is? Are you kidding me? I'm dead serious, bro. It's the first That's... time in a long time. She wrote all this, put my picture in there. That's you know, awesome. my brother and sister during that time frame, that was 1970-something. Bro, it's a beautiful thing. That's unbelievable. So, I mean, it's sad and beautiful at the same time. Sad part is, like, I mean, did you grow up? Like, because you look at you now, and this is, you are the reason, the, the, the stereotypical guest on what I had envisioned when we started this podcast of Level Up you overcame so many odds because when you look at you now you've had success on so many levels you have success on television 
entrepreneur, you have a beautiful wife, like you have a great brand, like your smile is just so captivating, like you feel better when you're around you. I'm sure that wasn't the case in the 70s and 80s. Like, did were you always like this or did you struggle with abandonment issues or self-esteem, anything like that? Struggle with abandonment issues, struggle with self-esteem. However, I always had a confidence that everything is going to be okay. I dare you to find someone with higher confidence than me. I challenge you to find someone with a stronger faith because I've been challenged left and right. And it's that application that I put into the minds of people that I help. My work isn't by accident. Like what I do isn't by accident. It is both a giving and a receiving thing on a daily basis. It's reciprocal. Let me help you out. Cause as I'm helping you, I'm helping me. Like I'm reminding myself, bro, this is where you came from, but this is where you are. How did you get here? I remember having a conversation with my older brother and he isn't as optimistic as me, right? He, he forms a mind, it's not gonna happen. Like that's his first thought. And I remember having a conversation with him. He was like, you think it's easy and you can save money and buy a house and have this life. It's not easy. But again, he's holding on to a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. I said to him, when I blow up, don't show up. <laughs> don't oh, even come no. Around, bro. When was I, this? This was, he was, he was, we were young, 13 and nine maybe because we have a huge yeah age gap yeah but just to show you no diss to andrew but just to show you and it sounds um the right thing to say but it's truly my life and my belief system you know the difference between my brothers and my sister why i have the life and have had the life i had is because i spoke out early you know i spoke about how my parents took us in but the life wasn't great Right. You know what I mean? They were mentally abusive and physically abusive and all these things and suppressed my dreams, so to speak. And I remember getting up and hugging them anyway and saying, uh, I love okay, that's, that's crazy because these people adopted you. So you finally had some sort of stability in your life, but these same people who adopted you and your brothers and sisters are mentally and physically abusing you. Yeah. And wasn't it in the name of God and religion on why they were doing it? Didn't they believe that way? Yeah, they were very spiritual people, very religious people. Listen, I grew up Seventh-day Adventists. They're Christians who go to church on Saturday versus Sunday, right? right? And uh, which is very common in the West Indian culture, by the way. Um, And go to church every Saturday, turn up the television Friday night, open up the Bible, read a page. So it was very structured in that way. However, um, they implemented their childhood. A man's behavior will never exceed the circumference of his understanding. They implemented their childhood onto us. I remember my sister biting her nails and my mother taking a wooden spoon and banging them so she would, so they bled and you know what I mean? Just certain things that stand out in my mind that say, you're not supposed to do that. So as a community was raising us, they were also raising them, right? So that same community we went to church with, went to school with, it was a circle, right? And they're like, wait, you can't do that to these kids. Let them go outside, let them play, let them interact. So they thought seclusion was the answer. Whereas it wasn't, in some ways it saved us, in some ways it was like, come on, come on guys, stop, stop with all that. When did the abuse stop? It stopped when I spoke up. It stopped when my brother and sister moved out. 
when you know you have enough, when you have enough, it's like, I'm done. I can't take anymore. Mm-hmm. For me, it stopped when I spoke up. How old were you? 13, 14, somewhere. You spoke spoke up to them or you told somebody else? Spoke up to them. Do you remember that moment? Like what you said, what you did? Yeah. Can you yeah. tell me? I remember being deathly afraid of my father. Like anything he said, it was a, it was a reaction. Like, you know, uh Oh, I'm in trouble. We're in trouble. That was just the energy of the house. I remember practicing cutting my hair myself, right? Bought my clippers with the money I got from the lawnmower. And I remember walking up to him like this. Damn. Is it okay if I practice cutting my hair, cutting hair on Andrew and Joey as I'm doing on mine, if it's okay with you, because I don't, and I'm shaking as I'm saying this, right? Because I, I know the reaction is never, sure, son, or let me think about it. It's like, why are you bothering me? Bop, bop, bop. You know what I'm saying? It was always some sort of attack that came with the question. So there was fear there. When I did that and he said, I don't care what you do, go ahead. I then hugged him. I remember, I've never hugged this man in my life. Wow. I remember embracing him hugging him and saying, thank you, I love you, and walked away. It was as weird for me as it was for him. But when I did it, I felt his shoulders drop. I felt whatever control or power he had, it almost like I could I could see it like go off his body. Wow. I, I felt so powerful in that moment. For me as a kid, as a young teenager, it was like, oh, that's how you defeat your enemies. Dude, there it is. And in that moment, I realized, bro, don't talk about somebody you don't like. Don't go around the bush. Don't be afraid. Go right to them and kill them with this. You got to forgive me. I love to cuss. I love to. It feels so therapeutic for me to curse. Anyway, (laughs) I love it. So, so when I did that in that moment, I'm like, okay. I found my voice, I found my power, I found my secret weapon, and that has taken me where I am and absolutely where I'm going. What happened to the relationship with you and your father and even your mother after that? Because I'm, I'm guessing if he was doing it to you, wasn't he doing it to his wife too or no? No, absolutely not. They were like this. Just the kids? Us against them. They, they, they literally... It was such a huge, just, I can show you my birth certificate, which is really weird, right? Born and raised in Connecticut, born in Stanford, raised in, raised in Bridgeport. My birth certificate says that my mom is 54 years old. A 54-year-old is not going to have a little kid. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Four at that. But then the system made it, you know, to where they were our parents and really, you know, whatever, right? So just to give you a sense, they were of a certain age as we got older. They got older. They were the end of their, of their um, they were very much in retirement mode. They loved each other. They had years and years and years of history together. It was truly us versus them. These four American kids coming into my home, trying to, you know, my father used to call me inquisitive. And, you know, I was always curious about stuff. He didn't like that. I was supposed to be a child and a child was supposed to be in their place. Um, But it opened up. It opened up in the sense that because I kept um, saying things like why or how come, well, I love you anyway, and then walk away and hope that nothing comes from that, that sort of boldness, things started to soften. Things started to uh, humanize, so to speak, or wow. not, um, there was no, the hierarchy started becoming closer and closer as we got older. Um, 
or diminish more, I should say, instead of closer. Mm-hmm. It got better eventually. I had to leave. I remember leaving and staying with friends as opposed to um, staying home because of the, the mental abuse piece, more so than the physical, because they were getting older. The physical diminished. The mental was still there. You're not going to mount anything. You're not going to be anything. And yeah, so they, they, I mean, so they would, it's so weird because I know some good Seventh Day Adventist people that aren't like that. Um, I know some bad ones too, but then, like I, I, I didn't, I didn't know like the the mental abuse part. So they would, you're not going to do nothing. You're not going to amount to nothing. They would put you down. I was so talented when I was a kid, drawing, singing, dancing. I would put on plays at both school and church, and we were a huge community there in Florida, in Central Florida. Every time I was about to perform and do something, my dad would get up and walk out. I, all I ever wanted to do was, I guess he didn't want to see me in a place of adoration. He didn't want to see other people. It was sort of one of those things like, I have no interest in this. And that quietly would break my heart because, you know, the one you want to impress nine times out of 10 is the one who doubts you the most. <laughs> right. And he would walk out and it, and it would be. It would it would crush me. You know what I'm saying? So uh, would your again, mom stay? She stayed. She stayed. Did she yeah. ever like I'm proud of you? I love you. Good job. Anything? I got those from her eventually. They happened eventually down the road. Yeah, thank God, because I needed those, so, <laughs> those data boys. I'm dying of curiosity. So where are they now? Are you close? Do you not talk? Are they still alive? No, they passed away. They both passed away. I went to my mother's funeral and didn't go to my dad's um, because of the pain. And I think when I went to my mother's funeral and I went to him and I did the same gesture where you go up to someone and you hug them, his arms were close to his side. He didn't reach up to hug me back. And he said something again, I could do a Jamaican voice for you because I do that accent very well. It's all yeah. I really knew. And he said something to the effect of, I haven't seen you people in a while, or you haven't been near me, or I don't know you in that way. So again, that was that little, that little razor blade, like, so yeah. I just said, you know what, I can't, I can't deal with this energy at that, this stage in life over years and years of therapy and um, self-work, I didn't want to revisit what caused me so much pain. So I didn't even go to his. Tough question for you, but it's a real question. Um, did you ever, did this, did you ever reconcile and, and have a good relationship with God after this? Cause a lot of times we view God through the eyes of the way our parents are. And you know, it, it was very easy for me to believe in God cause I had fantastic parents. Some people overcome that and some people will never look at God because they call their parents called them, you know, we go to church, we love God, but they're abusive. So they never engage with God. What's the, what was the case with you? Did you find a close relationship with God or was it kind of like, well, if you're real, then why in the heck did I get this situation? Like, what was that like? You know, faith is the evidence of things not seen. I may not be able to see it, but I definitely believe it and feel it. But because they grew, you know, you just said it's both beautiful and sad. Mm-hmm. That's a fact that everyone's like, everyone can relate to that statement. It's both beautiful and sad. The beauty was I was consistently in school when it came to spiritual development. 
reading the Bible, singing in the choir, reading it. So it was like my school friends was also my go to church friends. So it overlapped and it overlapped in a way that secured a relationship with God. So for me, it was never, um, how could you do this to me? How I'm not built that way. I'm built in the space of optimism, right? It's because of my relationship with God and my faith while I was able to go to my demons, so to speak. Why are you hurting me? Please don't do this to me. I love you anyway. I felt like I'm the vessel and God's saying these words for me. It, it, if anything, I think it drew me closer mm-hmm. than apart. There's a parable that I speak about often that I really, really love about a father who's an alcoholic and he has two sons. Mm-hmm. In an interview, the reporter says to the son, um, one son is an alcoholic. The other one's a millionaire. The reporter said to the son that's an alcoholic, why are you an alcoholic? He said, because my dad was an alcoholic. And then he asked the other son, why are you a millionaire? He said, because my dad was an alcoholic. <laughs> your, your, your parents teach you how to be or how not to be. So even in the midst of pain, it was like, my dad kept showing me when I become a dad, I'm not going to act that way. I'm going to have a right. better relationship. You know what I'm saying? Based on faith, based on trust. I think it's also too when when you have a real revelation of God, like in your situation, like your dad might have been walking out of those performances, but your heavenly father was always watching and always smiling. You know what I mean? And it's yeah, like your heavenly father is always proud of you. And, you know, and that's what, you know, the biggest thing I always try to tell people. It's like, you know, God ain't mad at you. God's not disappointed at you. Like he's he's smiling at you right now. How about for your brother's? And your sisters, are y'all alike? Did your brother, I think you said his name was Andrew, did he ever come around, so to speak, or is he still kind of upset? I don't know if he's upset anymore. I would say he was programmed, Hmm. right? I would say he was programmed more so than I, because early on, again, I found that superpower. I found that voice, right? I found the ability to face my fear, which was in a representation of step-parents or my parents, to face my demon. I don't think my brother had did that for a long time. Um, don't even know to this day if he still has. I say that about my sister. I say that about my younger brother. Because, um, you know, if you're taught to hate yourself and you're not enough, you might start believing that. Did they know at a young age that you were going to blow up the way that you have blown up and done so good for yourself? Were they not surprised? I don't know. I, I, I would probably guess they were not surprised because I was always the one, again, doing the plays, doing the acting, doing the singing, drawing. I was always that guy, you know, in terms of like being an entrepreneur. I remember getting a white T-shirt and taking these um, pastel crayon colored things and literally drawing art on a white T-shirt, walking into the gym, seventh grade, and kids flipped out. And my sister was right next to me like, you know. <laughs> where'd you get that from? That's crazy. And I said, I made it. They were like, can you make me one? How much? Uh, $40. I don't know what the hell I was saying. So, and then I got probably 20 kids to give me $40 a pop. I went, got t-shirts, did the whole thing. And I was thinking, oh, I could probably do this. Right. So uh, yeah, I think they may have known those things were there early on. I I knew it. Kind of like the way I freaked out when I first saw your sweatshirt when you came on. We didn't, we didn't put that on the uh, podcast when I first saw your switch. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Where do I get one? <laughs> I'm like, no, it's mine. No, <laughs> that's tight. How, okay. So how did you end up in Atlanta? Cause your story's fascinating. And the thing that I like is 
you know, you said you came from the projects, uh, parents, you know, beautiful, sweet and sad at the same time. But I know that you started, you had to get into health and fitness at some point because you were at the YMCA in Atlanta. It's kind of where you started growing in, so to speak, right? hundred percent. I mean, go back. I mean, I'm a kid. I'm 23, 24 years old. I'm in Atlanta. I'm working as an office manager. Someone says to me, you're good with people. You're in great shape. You should be a trainer. I got certified. And sure enough, I started applying those whole, those look at this more than just you giving someone push-up advice. I made workouts for elderly people that went to the Y and moms and teenagers. And they just started coming to me in flocks. It's very, there's a, there's a pride that's attached to when someone needs your advice, right? Yeah. Especially at 23 years old, you're like, well, okay, gather around everyone. And so it gave me this sense of power. And um, I knew immediately in that moment, this is what I'm going to do or a version of this. I don't know exactly what it is right now. I don't know if I'll be a trainer forever, but I knew that I wanted to help people because it made me feel good about doing it. So that time period in my life really took me up into where I am now. And then you started your own gym. You named it body sculptor. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you, how do you launch your own gym? Like, cause that seems expensive and hard. It is probably both, but um, I was very fortunate. There's a guy by the name of Burt Weiss who's in Atlanta, and he went to a gym that I worked at at the front desk. I was already certified, came from the Y, but I chose to work at the front desk and humble myself because I'm looking at about 24 trainers, give or take 20, 20 to 24 trainers who are self-employed. They pay the gym, huge gym whatever monthly fee, and then they determine based on their own personal experience, how much they charge your clients. So imagine all of us are in the gym. You don't have a trainer. I don't have a trainer. How many of the 24 every day? Hey, you need a trainer? Hey, you need a trainer? So it was very wild, wild west in that mm -hmm. regard. I played the front desk. I got my first year in and said, I'm going to go on the floor. I went on the floor. One of the first people I spoke to was this guy, Bert Weiss. I went up to him and said, you don't know what you're doing, let me help you. <laughs> he started <laughs> laughing and it became this thing. He said no to me probably three or four times. I remember one day going up to him and he finally said, yes, we bonded like this. Issues that, you know, his relationship with his father, him being a dad, me being a dad. We just had great conversations and a great workout the whole time. He was the number one talk show host, radio talk show host in the city. I had At no that idea. time? And you had no idea? No clue. And he was, you know, a little soft and pudgy. It was like one of those things where he called me up on his radio show one day. He said, don't curse. We're on the radio. I said, okay. <laughs> and so he said, listen, my co-anchors here are telling me that I'm in pretty good shape. How long do you think it would take to get me in great shape? I said, you give me 90 days, four days a week of movement, and then I'll tweak your diet accordingly, and you'll never look the same. This is all on radio. Mm -hmm chiming in and blah 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 in that and they're, time, and they're all probably making fun of him right yeah they're like oh sure Bert, you're gonna do it yeah we'll see nope i transformed him i mean think p90x bro from this to that yeah all the local like um magazines and i remember jezebel and newspapers just started doing all this publicity on him I garnered all that attention. Who did yes. this? Who is the guy? And he started having me on his show regularly. Yes. 
I averaged about two to three new clients a week. When he started talking about me and then going on the show, about 60, 60 to 70 every week, right? Because the people were coming in, because they were like, I will pay whatever. It was almost like the gift was, I already know what you can do. Do that for me. Again, this is pre-Instagram. This is, you know what I'm saying? This is pre-P90X and all these other Things, these transformative models and it just I, it blew me up i blew up but that prin- enough money to open up a place before social media and stuff but the principles of success are still the same and my brother who's super successful my older brother he taught me this at a young age he goes matt three most important things to success number one it's not what you know it's who you know obviously so you knew bert secondly is who knows you well bert knew you and the third he goes the most important thing is what stories do people tell about you behind your back? Because everyone's always talking. What are they saying about you when you leave the room? And when Dolvet wasn't around, people were talking about him in a good way behind his back. Like, that guy can help you. So he didn't even need freaking Instagram, social media. Obviously, it's a great tool now, but everyone's talking about you. And then you blew up. How did the biggest loser happen? Because when you came on that show, it went... It went next level in terms of, you know, you still had the format of like, hey, we're going to make fat people skinny and look better. But you brought this personal development aspect that I didn't see from the other trainers. And they were good. But I mean, like, dude, you line up, you know, Jillian, angry freaking lady and 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 Dolvet, 10 out of 10 people are picking Dolvet. I don't care who they because he relates to the spirit as well of a person. How did you get on Biggest Loser and what happened? I think it was just a a lineup of perfect timing with things I was doing. I felt like when I finally opened up my gym, there was a synergy in there that I couldn't describe. It was just one of those places in a time period where everything felt really, really good. I was in my pocket, right? In my ecstasis is what it's called, the derivative word of ecstasy. It was like this energy was like this, right? (laughs) And I hired a publicist. Like, why you just own a private studio? Why are you hiring a publicist? I hired a manager. I wanted what the world outside of me, I wanted the world outside of me to know what this place was. So again, exactly what guys and girls are doing right now with Instagram and Facebook and all these social platforms, I was doing the old school way. Get a publicist to let people know. And I think when I did that, because um, Tyler Perry was coming to the gym and Janet Jackson and and uh, all these people that were celebrities were coming and I was helping out and training them and, and showing them the ways of the guru, um, Boris Kojo, um, Nicole Larry Parker, all these people. Um, it just started creating its own energy. Now here comes the cameras and here come, I'm doing, now I'm doing television, I'm doing commercials and I'm doing sitcoms, uh, Tyler Perry show, et cetera. You know what I mean? House of Pain. So all this stuff started happening. One day the phone rang, which we weren't surprised about something else. Someone's asking, hey, are you interested in this? But the interest was different. It was NBC calling and they were like, hey, we saw you in something, some kind of publication. And I was like, really? Would you like to come to LA? And I said, yes. And it was this whole thing, right? And I got to LA thinking, oh, they know of me. Here we go. What I didn't know was I was at the Sheraton uh, Hotel um, in Studio City near the NBC Universal Building, and there were 24 other trainers there. 
So I thought I was going in on my own, right? No, no, no. They were auditioning for other people. Um, went in, auditioned, killed the audition, called me back. And they said, look, we're putting a female and a male against Bob and Jillian this coming season. It's down to you and two other guys. Mm. Meet me at the NBC office. Tell them why you should be the next trainer. Long story short. What, I yeah, what, now, what'd you say? I want to know how you crushed this interview. What'd you do? I, I, I said, well, guys, look, what I'm not going to do is come in here and say things like, I can make your abs better than Jillian can make your abs. But what you don't have is a guy like me. You don't have a straight black guy on this show given this type of energy. I'm the missing link. The whole room busted out laughing, whatever. I walked out the room. I'm thinking, okay, boom. They like me. It's going to happen. It didn't happen. Jillian vouched for a different guy. Brett Hobel is his name. He's a, he's a really great guy. Um, I don't like him. I don't like him at all. I, I don't like him. I don't she even know who he is. She knew Google about. No, I don't like him. I don't like him. Well, hold on. Here we go. Brett Hobel. B R E T T H O B E L E L. Brett Hobel. Okay, he's not black. He doesn't look straight and. <laughs> I think you're going to win. Okay. She vouched for him. Okay. He lost. Just kidding. He lost. Actually, no, he got the gig. Oh, he did? It was me. It was me, him, and another guy. All three of us at NBC offices. She said, I, really, I know this guy from New York. He's pretty good. And because of that, he got the gig. Hmm. I was got a call about five weeks later. Hey, we really liked you, but we're going to go this direction. I know we'll work together at some point down the road is what the producer said to me. Great. Thank you. Da, da, da. I remember hanging up the phone in my studio. Hey, guys, I didn't get it. Business back to usual, whatever. So two months went by. I got a phone call from Scooter Braun. Ooh, that is Justin Bieber's manager. Yes, it is. <laughs> and Scooter said to me, look, D, uh, we need a trainer because we all know each other from Atlanta. We all came up together in Atlanta, right? Really? Yeah. So you knew Scooter Braun before he was Scooter Braun? Exactly. I knew Scooter Bond before he got found Justin Bieber. We go that far back. Oh, that's so, awesome. So he was like, I'm not going to use you because you're too expensive, but maybe one of your other. I said, no, 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 no. I just auditioned for Biggest Loser. I was I already had myself prepped to go away for six months. You know, it took me forever to get my system right and then go over there and do this thing. I said, let's talk. And so we negotiated a number that made sense. And next thing you know, I was on tour with Justin. Um so I'm training Justin, I'm doing all this stuff. And again, as when would have it, I think the NBC folks heard about this. The guy that they got, Brett, it did not work out at all. NBC decided to do something crazy, which was let's hide the faces of the two new trainers for three weeks. We'll blacken out their faces like private, like an investigation type of thing, like a serial killer or some shit. Right. Or a witness. It wasn't until the third or fourth week on The Biggest Loser Show that they revealed their faces. By then, the audience was disinterested. Not to mention, the on-staff producer was suing the creators of the show. So you're walking into this environment that is toxic. Mm. That would have been me. So again, God timing. says, you got this. It's for you, but trust timing. So See, he's I remember, preaching, Eli. He's preaching. Preaching, bro. Bring it. <laughs> Listen, I remember distinctly getting a phone call January. Hey, Dalvet, 
um, we made a mistake. Would you mind coming out and auditioning again? I said, actually, no, I'm busy. Quit no. Yeah, I'm with B. I'm with Bieber, and they're paying me a ton of money. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I went out the second time around, and sure enough, this time it was just me auditioning. It was a better situation for me because now you walk into the same environment, you're a little bit more comfortable. I was, I was, um, I knew what they expected, and I also knew what I needed to do. I auditioned. I remember being in the room in the gym on The Biggest Loser. Uh, uh, on on air and we're not on air we were at the location in the gym about six people behind me i'm training the six contestants or wannabe contestants this is my new audition you raise your treadmill a little bit uh three you bring yours up to 12 okay you and you i want you right here and i want you and i'm direct i felt like a conductor and i'm mm -hmm. orchestrating this whole these instruments I had no idea that Allison Katz, who was the casting director, was get up here right now, get up to the gym. She was talking to the people in the sound room. When I turned around after doing what I did for those people, just spending, it, it felt like an episode, the entire room that turned. One of the creators of the show walked up to me and said, I've never seen that level of charisma, that dedication, that willingness to both give yourself away and also pick someone up at the same time because it was a very vulnerable conversation you sir are a star and in that moment i got the job amen doing what you do not thinking anyone's watching you but heaven is always watching all that <laughs> here he goes preaching again now he's always. <laughs> dang dude that's such a great story it was and fun. You, you was changed really fun. the game. So does Scooter hate you now because you blew out him and B? <laughs> Scooter's too busy doing everything else to, to hate me. Scooter's, uh, yeah, he's very busy. <laughs> so after that, so going back to like your brothers and sisters and stuff, like does it, uh, this is a tough question, but I'll ask it. Does it create more of a separation with the brothers and sisters because you don't believe the same and, and it's almost kind of like you were right? Or is it kind of like, hey, you were right. Uh, I need to be around you more. I I, I want what you got. Because that's I my would. mentality. Like, if, if, so, yeah. if, if someone has something I want, I want right. to get around them. Not in a selfish way, but I, I, want, I want whatever they got to rub off on me. Was it like that? And it's probably half and half, right? Well, I wish it was the latter. You know what I mean? I wish it was. I wish we had more conversations like, what things did you do to get where you are? We just didn't. And I think those conversations come from people who are ready to have them. Again, if you're programmed, you're programmed, yeah. right? If you can find another way around that programming, knock on wood, then you're great. Um, I wish, I really wish my brothers and my sister came to me and said, okay, show me the secret sauce or show me how you've done what you've done so that I can, and I still do that. I do that to this, to this day. I keep, a circle, my nights at the round table, if you will, of advisors. And, you know, that's why I respect guys who are in like C, C, um, who are in those groups, those um, entrepreneurial groups, YPO groups. You know what I mean? You got to keep that energy around you and those, those mentors around you. You should always have someone, I say, at least 10 to 20 years older than you so that they can speak from an experience perspective. But everyone that's in your circle, if they're younger than you, and I question where your mind is or where you see yourself. You don't have to give me names, but I'm always curious. Who who are your advisors? Like, what do they do? 
Are they doctors? Are they producers? Are they presidents? Who, who are they? They're a combination of many things. They're successful both in life as well as in business. You know, it, it, it's, it's one thing to look at someone and be like, you em- I want to emulate you. But you don't know the soul of that person, right? You don't know if they're even a good person. You just say, oh, you're wealthy. So everything that you admire about them is just based on where they are. However, you don't take the steps to the sacrifices. So all of my mentors are a thousand percent based on great conversations that made me believe there's more than one discipline in your life that makes you great right? If your discipline is your physique, that's not enough. If your discipline is your physique and your financial structure and entrepreneurship, we got something to talk about. If your discipline is that and your family and how much your family matters to you, now you're my vibe. So you got to have all those things. What's the common denominator that you've seen with the people that come on The Biggest Loser that you train that why they're in the position they're in the position how do you get to 300 pounds overweight because they weren't supposed to be like that what's the common denominator that let me ask this what's the common denominator on on why they're where they're at and how do you break through that how you know what i'm saying like how do they get rid of that to to get better I think it's a combination of things, to be honest with you. Sorry, I had to get something off the ground. I think it's a combination of things. I think it's your environment. I think it's your circle of people. I think it's your belief in yourself or the lack thereof. I think it's habits. Look, no one's perfect, right? Everyone has their vices. These people, it's food that makes them happy. It's food that alleviates whatever they've been through. So the common denominator is not healing from whatever happened before, living in pain, and then treating that pain with pain. (laughs) You know what I mean? Instead of coming out of something, you're wallowing in it. I remember an example of one of the guys that won one season, and he went back to his hometown, and his fiance or girlfriend, girlfriend or fiance would get mad at him to go to, because the guy lost a hundred and something pounds. Yeah. He wanted to keep it going, but she would get mad at him because he was going to the gym. Why are you going to the gym? Is there some girl there that you like? Why don't you stay here with me? I just made you a big breakfast. You've, you've changed. And so he started feeling guilty and he not only gained all the weight back, he gained extra 50 pounds. Oh, dang. So he couldn't get out of his environment, that circle, that, that, whatever that is, you know what I mean? Have you ever had to cut someone out like that to get to the next step you needed to go? Or have you always just found a way to go? So kind of like, you know, you, at least it doesn't seem like you struggle with the weight, but that guy struggled with the weight and he had someone in his life that was trying to bring him back to what he was. Have you ever had to, cut someone out to you know because they were pulling you back or a memory a relationship a person a a job maybe anything i think of a specific job that listen i told you about that job that um that i had with all the trainers in the wild wild west and i was doing so great and all these people are coming and asking me the owner of that gym fired me 
she viewed me as competition, not someone who was bringing her business. Wow. So I literally fired on the spot with nowhere to go, right? And then luckily I found a place within a week or so and it was back to business. Um, I remember trainers who I hired who were stealing from me behind my back and or, you know, and I was reluctant to hire, but when another trainer said, nah, we need this person, but I had to, you know, cut that off as well. So there's so many different instances in our lives where any type of success breeds envy. You just have to be strong enough not to allow that to define you or make you think you're not valuable enough. Shake them off, keep it moving. Did you ever find um, or reconnect with your biological mother and father? Father, no. Biological mother, yes. Is she still alive? She's still alive. Yes. One thing. I actually spoke to her a week ago, last week. And what's that like? It's cool. It, you know, we were reunited while I was still in Florida. Come to find out she was in Florida the whole time. So we come from Connecticut. My older brother, because he has the most memories of all of us, he was the oldest. He went back to Connecticut while we were in Florida just to find out she was in Florida the entire time that we were there. We didn't know. This is years and years and years. So we ended up, I remember him pulling up to the driveway in Florida, in Ocala, and he pulled up with my uncle and my aunt, my sister's mom. And my, uh, I called him uncle. He was married to my aunt. I've never had an aunt or an uncle. I was like, this is freaking cool. My <laughs> right. I, remember, I remember jumping in that car after years and years and years and not seeing my mom and them saying, you're going to meet your mom. So we drove from Central Florida to South Florida, Delray Beach, where she still lives to this day. And I walked into this really dark room and there was this little light going, going down. I remember her coming out the room. I just looked at her like, wow, you're my mom. And I gave her the biggest hug. Wow. Yeah, we've been, we've been close ever since. Other brothers and sisters, same or no? Yeah, same. We That's love great. It. Yeah. yeah, everything is magical and beautiful in that space. I just love, man, dude, I love your story because you just radiate this forgiveness side about you and this optimistic side about you that you know regardless of where you've been or what you've accomplished, you haven't arrived yet. The best is still yet to come. You know what I mean? Like you're, you don't strike me as a guy that rests on his laurels that you're, you're looking for the next thing. And before I let you go, I, I do want to bring this up because it's powerful. And I think it's going to help our listeners. You posted this on um, your Instagram quite a while ago. I remember seeing it, but I wrote it down. Uh, you said there's three types of people in this world, people who wish people who wait and people who will can you explain those three types of people and so people can assess which one they are in case they want to keep it or change it? I got this from www, looking www.com. I was like, three W's, three W's. People who wish, and we all know them, sometimes we are them. We wish that something would happen. We wish and we hope we'll see, you know, and so that's our mindset. We're usually the ones, the personality that sits back and kind of, sees what someone else is going to do. We're the first to celebrate or criticize someone else's success, right? Because we're in the space of wishing all the time. Then there's those who wait. I'm not going to do anything. Uh, there, could be, there could be an agenda at hand, right? There could be something that everyone in the office needs to get done. There's literally people who will sit back and wait to see what everyone else is going to do, and then they do something or uh, won't be the first out the gate. You know, they want to wait, sit back and see. Um, that personality is very, very strong and dominant. The third one, 
the provokers of progress is what I call them. Yeah. Those who will that happen. You got to ask me one time and I'm going to do it. Sometimes you don't have to ask me anything. It is in me to provoke my greatness, to manifest it, to insist that I am further than where I am or more than where I am. Right. And that's it sounds like, man, that sounds like a lot of work. It doesn't have to be something so far fetched. I can will myself into eating better in the morning today than I did yesterday. I can will myself to do a workout in the morning, work out in the evening. I can will myself to save enough money to buy my first home. If you want something bad enough, you create that will no matter what. Amen. You are 47, 48? Just turned it. Just, Just turned 48. Friday. Um, outside looking in, you look fantastic. Do you have <laughs> aches and pains? Does your back hurt? Your shoulder hurt? Neck? Like, do you wake up in pain? Or are you always, like, do you feel good because you're in crazy shape? No, because I'm in crazy shape, I probably have aches and pains. You know what I mean? Because I'm always <laughs> going, going, going. Um, but I'm also um, someone who quietly, and I don't even know if I say this publicly as much as I should, who is very much into hacking how the body works and how to improve the body. Recovery matters to me as much, even more so at this stage and age in life than just movement or diet alone. I just did stem cells. I went to Columbia three months ago and I put a, a 240 million stem cells in my body because I wanted to reduce inflammation and anti-aging and all the benefits that they offer, um, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Just to go above yeah. and beyond hyperbaric chamber, um, every and all things that I could do to make sure that my next 10 years are my best 10 years. Right. And, and I go above and beyond. I'm always looking and researching ways to make it, make myself better and then give the advice to others to stay better, stay in the game. If your life keeps going the way it's going, are you going to have that same view when you're 75, knowing, thinking, well, how am I going to make the next 10 years my best years? 75 to 85? Yes. I'm saying, listen, if I'm healthy, God willing, and no ailments, God willing, um, yeah, why not? Why not? Because I'm Listen, if you're not growing, you're dying. Right. <laughs> and I want to grow. I want to know that, okay, wait a second. There's these new studies in 2045 that say, you know, eating plant-based is going to make me going to add three, four more years to my life at 75. Are you damn right? I'm going to do that. <laughs> Tell me about your personal life before I let you go. You have a son named, uh, you have a son named Isaiah uh -huh. and you just got married about a year ago. Uh -huh. Who is she? How'd you meet? How much do you love her? What's the future hold for you? <laughs> my son, Isaiah is amazing. Um, He's an entrepreneur himself. He has his own clothing line that I'm watching grow right in front of my eyes, which is great to watch. Um, he named it IQ, Intelligent Streetwear, for his initials, Isaiah Quince. Um, uh, this is, is great. We met online through a mutual friend. Um, she said she knew that I was her person the moment I opened my mouth and no we connected way. very quickly. Um, and it's been great. I mean, she's uh, she's my best friend. That's so tight. we we, uh, we have an amazing relationship with uh, our future in front of us. I I'm more excited more than anything to travel with her because we don't we don't get a chance to travel right now. You know, she's from Canada. Obviously, she lives here with me. Um, and uh, we were building our home, but I really want to you know go to Greece and go to Africa and go to all yeah. these great places. So 
chill with the pandemic already. Let's go. I know. Seriously. My wife and I want to go to Greece too. We haven't been yet. Um, it's beautiful. You have to go. Any more babies for you in the future? Are you done? No, I'm not done. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I I would do it again. hundred percent. I'm, I'm, I'm a better version of myself now than I was when I say it was born. So, uh, I'm ready to, I love family, bro. I love it. So let's get it. So we always ask our guests to uh, give us one tip, one quote, anything to help our guests level up, kind of like, you know, Dalvet's final thoughts. What would you say to our listeners before we let you go? Um, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. How you do anything. So if you treat the little small things that seemingly don't matter with love, care, and attention, you're practicing and you're teaching yourself how to handle the big things. So practice the small things with the, the right way. The big things will come easier. And there it is. Mic drop. I love you, bro. What's next? What do you, how do you want people to follow you? Cause you, I mean, there's so much like you can help them eat better, get in better uh, shape. You help people with their mindset. I mean, you're just, People need you in their life. I know that they can follow you on Instagram like I do at uh, Dolvet, D-O-L-V-E-T-T. And what else? What can we promote? Um, I have a podcast myself, Work Out the Doubt. That podcast is a separate Instagram, which is Work Out the Doubt. Um, Please follow me, support me. I'm streaming, you know, all the time, everywhere, on every platform, the podcast. It just came out two weeks ago officially. Um, working really, really hard on that one. Also have another book coming out. Um, also with the same title, Work Out the Doubt. Very happy about that. Working on some television things. Um, just launched a company. I have a, um, um, a hipper, cooler version of HSN and QVC called Spree, like you're going in a shopping spree. So I'll be hosting that online very soon. We got a lot of publicity going out on that one, Um, hosting and bringing in. So imagine in this lifestyle fitness space, very cool ways of showing people what items and merchandise is out there. Um, So uh, it'll be great. A couple of celebrities come through and uh, we have a great time. Dude, that's tight. Work out the doubt. Your podcast. I saw that you had uh, former host of Biggest Loser, Allison Sweeney, on there. You also had Tito Jackson. Is it always guests, or sometimes do you just spit game? Um, right now it's guests, but the the spit game thing is the thing that they're asking me to do more often, and so I think I will. I think the first thing I did was that, like the first episode, was just telling people why. Who I, who, who, who I am and why did I want to get into this space of podcasts in the first place? So I told my story a little bit. Uh, so it'll be a combination of all those things. I'm really excited about this week. So I got some really cool guests coming in. What do you and got? Then, what I got, you got? then I got to have you on mine as well. So you let me know. We got some good stuff. I mean, you know, whatever you want to know, it's uh, I'm an open book as well, man. Three kids, two of them had a rare genetic disease being born. And now you would never even know they're doing phenomenal and uh, everything in between, bro. What's uh, what's your teaser coming up? Who's your guest? You said you got an exciting show. You really want to know? <laughs> I do. Uh, you know who Byron Scott is? Oh, my gosh. I was just with him three weeks ago at a fundraiser. Yeah, Byron's coming on this week. Uh, Byron, Terry Crews, Magic Johnson, Anthony Anderson, Dwayne Martin, Boris Kojo. It's a whole bunch of good guys coming in. 
Come it's on. Cool. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm literally a lot of friends. So I'm calling out my friends to show up for me. Let's talk. Let's inspire and take it higher. Did you already film and record with Byron Scott? Every name that I just gave you are the two come names. We've literally been calling and texting each other. How can we make time? You know, a lot of my friends are busy. Their, their, their careers are still on television doing crazy things. If you remember when you talked to Byron Scott, tell him that you were on with the, his favorite auctioneer of all time. Like I've done two charity fundraisers where I was his auctioneer. Oh. And on one, I sold three signed basketballs of him for 15 grand. He was so pumped, dude. He is, he's a class act, dude. That guy he's a class act. We became fast friends again. We worked out the same gym for about three years. Uh, Teeter tottered in some business deals here and there. But he's also someone that I admire in a big way. I will remember that. Three basketballs, 15 grand a pop. Yeah, we did that for the Center for Autism. It was for autism. We did it. He's he's a good guy. Man, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, congratulations on everything. Your wife, successful son. The apple does not fall too far from the tree. Look at him shine, just like daddy. I love it. You are the man. Thank you so much. And thank you for tuning in today. If you like this, please like, subscribe, and share. Share it. Give it a five-star rating. Come on, baby. We had Delvet Quincy today, the best trainer, biggest loser in history, and he helped you. So help someone else by sharing this. Like, subscribe, and thank you so much for tuning in for another week of Level Up. Level Up.